Good morning, everybody. Man, I was back there hanging out, talking, and realized I was late. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the, the pastor here at Ridgeview Church, and we are so glad that you're here. This is our first Easter service, so let's give a hand to that. And so that, that means that you guys are a part of, of history, because you're a part of our, our very first uh, Easter. And so I wanted just to start by introducing myself. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the pastor who started a Ridgeview, and we moved to North Fontana in June this past summer, and we had a team that moved with us to get the church started, and I've been married to my wife, Samantha. There's a picture of my family right there. This is actually from last Easter, a year ago, and a lot has happened to our family in this past year. We've moved, and we've started Ridgeview, and here we are but before you, and uh, my wife and I, Samantha, in June, will be married 17 years, and we have three kids, Katie, a Levi, and Jude, and we started a Ridgeview uh, kind of back in August, getting the groundwork and, and getting all the details, and then we started our monthly services in October, and so from October to January, we met once a month, and during that time, uh, we wanted to let the community know that we're here, we wanted to meet people, we wanted to share the news of Jesus Christ, we wanted to serve and so we were meeting once a month to give us kind of the freedom and flexibility to do that. And then on February 10th, uh, we had our grand opening. So just this past February, we launched kind of our weekly uh, services. And so here you are. We're in the beginning story of this church, and already we have been so thrilled to see uh, what God has done. And he has, as we've stepped out on faith, he, he has really come through. He's provided, and he continues to do that uh, to this day. And so we're so glad that you're here uh, to be a part of our first Easter. And we, we look forward to seeing what, what God continues to do as we get this church uh, planted and launched off the ground. And so that's a little bit of, of our history. And today, uh, we're starting a new message series, like Joel mentioned, called uh, Blindsided. And if you uh, look at your program on the front, uh, that's not usually an image that you would associate with Easter. It, it, it's a little freaky, you know, and you, you might have actually seen a mailer or a poster or something on our website. Um, but what I, what I think is true is that many times in life, we get blindsided by things, and things that happen to all of us, but none of us expect. And I think what happens, especially as it relates to following Jesus or it happens to the church, there's a sense in which I have my real life, and I have everything going on, and the church and this God thing is something that doesn't really relate uh, to this. And so we tend to think in compartments and separate boxes, but what I found in, in my own life is that Jesus, as we meet him and pursue him, he actually is exactly what we need, and he speaks through his word into our everyday life. And so we want to do through this series is look at the seven things that tend to overwhelm us in life, the seven things that blindside us, that we didn't see coming, that all of us experience but none of us expect. Because I believe that, that we have an opportunity to talk about things that Maybe inwardly we all have to deal with, but we don't necessarily outwardly talk to anyone about. And so that's what we want to do uh, today and uh, the next few weeks. And so you'll see um, in your program we have lots of things going on. And on the front end, I just want to invite you uh, to come back because as we kind of unfold, uh, I hope that this will be a real help to you and, and, and what you face. And so today we're talking about this idea of cynicism, being a cynical person, Okay. And I think all of us, to some degree or not, we, we have that. There, there's just a part of us that we, we battle those feelings of being cynical. We may wake up, we may go to bed, and just these, like, emotions can overwhelm us. 
Now, are there any, like, Seinfeld fans in here? Usually, you know, you divide a group really early, people that love it or hate it. But I want to show a clip from George Costanza. Any George fans out there? Okay, good. There was only two, so that might not be good. But this clip, I think, highlights the feeling that that can kind of creep into all of us. Let's watch this together. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. (laughs) My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's often wrong. (laughs) Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. (laughs) Well, there's no telling what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna because salmon swim against the current and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. Good for the tuna. You ever felt like that? Just, you know, you can't, you can't win. And, and, and I think we, we live in a time because of our access to information and the flow of things that flood us on social media. There's a time in which it's very easy to be cynical. It's very easy to compare. It's very easy to see us as we stack up to other people. And all that leads to kind of that overwhelming sense of before we realize it, that we've kind of lost hope. And here's, here's a de- definition of, of cynical, so we all have the same note to work from. It's believing that people are motivated by self-interest, distrust, distrustful of human sincerity or integrity, doubtful as to whether something will happen or whether it is worthwhile. As I read that, I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm kind of cynical. Because I, I, I think this stuff. I, I wonder if things are worthwhile. Like, is it worth it in my own life? Like, am I really going to do what I say? I mean, is it, am I really going to change? Is it really going to happen? Do I trust people? Are people sincere? Do I find that we're flooded with a world of integrity? Like, I, I find myself having these same thoughts. This is just straight from the dictionary of what it means to be a cynical person. And certain personalities, you may be more cynical than others. That's just the truth. It's reality. But no matter where we are, I think we all can kind of slide into a cynical approach to life. It looks like this. You know, you have maybe a a friend that has been burned too many times by people close to their life, and they're just at the point where they're they're jaded, and they they just, they don't trust anyone anymore. That could be your own experience. Uh, I I know for me, I I run into many people that the younger they are, they have all these hopes and dreams for their career, the relationships they're going to have, the places they're going to live, and then reality hits, and it's not quite what they hoped it would be. And they kind of are are burned by, by life somewhat. Or it's just the sense of you, you thought that you'd be further along or your story would be different than, than what it is. And so I think we're, wherever we are, we all face those similar pulls of emotions. And the reason we're, we're blindsided by it is because without realizing we had expectation and we, we had hopes and we're not quite where we thought we would be. And that leads to this idea. It's doubtful as to whether something will happen or whether it is worthwhile at all. And so I want to describe how we kind of deal with those emotions. And as they pull us, we slide into more cynicism. Now, now here's the deal. I, I, my goal is not to depress your Easter. So I'm going to bring you down real low. Okay. So just bear with me like this is, where are the snacks? You know, is this, 
as you kind of bury, we're going to go real low because what we need to do is it's really easy for all of us. And if I could speak frank, you know, you, we all dress up in our Easter best, right? You put the smile on and you expect like, I'm just going to show up and, ha- you know, we're all from different experiences and, and some want to be here, some don't want to be here. And there's all the sense of like, does anything really change? Does anything really happen that can get my attention? And I think what we're celebrating today can, but we have to actually face where we are first. So I want us to face honestly, and then as we kind of face that and can be honest with ourselves and honest with others, then we can move to, to what, what that means for us. So I want to describe the slide into cynicism. Now, this is, again, is not to overwhelm you with hopelessness, but to see if you relate to any of this. So here's some of how the slide works. The first is you project the past onto the future. The idea of the things that you've experienced in life your past, as you look back, you think that the way that it has been will always be. Have you ever felt that? I, I know I have. It's just because you've seen it and you've experienced it, you just kind of lay it out like this is, the, this is reality. Things don't, things don't change. There's sayings in scriptures in the book of Ecclesiastes, and people kind of call the book of Ecclesiastes like the cynic's guide to the universe. And it's in the Bible, and it's written by King Solomon. And what he's done is he's had more experiences than anyone in his time, and he had more wealth than anyone of his time. And he had the resources more than anyone had had at his time. And what he'd done because of his experiences, he experienced all of life. And because of that, he realized, like, all these things that he had had and all these things that he had hoped for, he came up empty. And in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, you find, what does that pursuit of having all that you have lead you to? So I think it's very interesting for us today because I think it's the similar thing we find ourselves in. Here's something that he said. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And if, you know, you're, you're someone that's been down the road and you talk to somebody in the younger generation, you're like, have you seen this, this new thing? It's awesome. And you're like, are you kidding me? We did that 20 years ago. You know, you young, we did that. You know, it's that idea of, it's just history repeating itself, history repeating itself. And, you, you know, we come up with the phrase, like, fool me once, shame on. I'm asking you because I actually forgot how it goes. Is it shame on you and then fool me twice, shame on me, right? And that's because of experiences we've had. Like, we've, we've been burned and, and we, we want to avoid that. And so it's this idea of it's just, it slides the past, it slides into the future. Uh, this is what we find our, ourselves saying. This is kind of this verse in my, in my own words. Since there's nothing really new and things don't change, what's the point? And I think if we were to kind of change that, it's general, it's out there, but I think we say this ourselves. Since there's nothing really new and I don't change, what's the point? Because we look at our past and we're still here. And so I think most of us experience that. So that's the first slide. You project the past onto the future. The second is this, you know and have seen too much. You, it, it's this idea of like you, you've been burned by your own experiences or you've been burned by the experiences of those close to you and it's kind of left you cynical. And it's this, this thought of the, the, the pain and, and the, the hurt and maybe some really hard things have just caused you to become a jaded person. This is a a second thing he says a little further in Ecclesiastes. 
He says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. How about this phrase? Ignorance is what? Bliss. I knew that one, but you guys were right on. Ignorance is bliss. And isn't that kind of how we, we, we feel it works? It's the idea, like, if we don't know, then it, it doesn't really hurt us. That's not how life works. But we do know, and we, we do have these experiences, and we do have real pain. And so we have this sense of, like, I've just, I've seen too much, I've done too much, and I just got a lot of scars. And that, that may be you today, and, and there is hope. There's even certain uh, professions that lead to more cynical people. Have you noticed, and I, I've done this in, in my own life, and I'm a part of this group too, some of the people that care for people, they're, they're in like caring for people professions, they're the most cynical. Now, as I, if you're in one of these professions, like you don't have to stand up or say anything, and it, you may be the exception, but teachers, you can be cynical. I could say that because I used to be a teacher, and I used to think that the teacher's lounge was one of the most negative places. Are teachers bad people? No. Don't, you know, write that on Facebook, Ridgeview Church, they hate teachers, right? But I do believe that teachers work so hard and spend so much of their time and energy, and they get into a classroom and think like, is it worth it? Another one, cops. Cops are cynical. They tend to be cynical people. Why? Because of what they've seen. Because of the evil they encounter day in and day out. You know who's another cynical group? Pastors. I'm calling myself out. Pastors are cynical. Why? Because of what they've seen and what they've heard. And you want to talk about a group of people that sometimes are filled with cynicism? It's pastors because they... They, they try and they do all this stuff and, and people don't change. So even certain professions lead to this idea of we're, we're, just, in the, we're just in the same place. And, and all these, whether it's your own experience, what you've seen or heard, or it's your own past that's coming into the future, it leads to this third slide. And I think this is the one that causes the most pain. And it's this, you give up hope. Once you have seen too much, experienced too much, once you feel like you can't get past your past, you, you give up hope. And that's this thought of like, is it even worth it? Now, in, in my own life, this is another interesting phase that I, I've seen in groups of people. When you have really young kids, I think that's one of your lowest points in life. Again, I told you, I'm, I'm going to bring us real low here. We're... <laughs> we're just going to cry all together real soon, okay? But when you, when you have young kids, you're, you're, you know, and, and you're married, you're, your marriage is really stressed out because you've never done this before, parenting, and you also have this life that's dependent on you, and you don't quite know how to keep that thing alive, and, and you don't sleep much. And when you're deprived of sleep, it's one of the worst things in life. And in, in my life, I was at my most cynical when my kids were the youngest, and I'd start having, you know, situations like this where the, our kids are crying, and especially the newborns, and you're not sleeping, and you think, this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm never, I'm, I'm not going to ever sleep again. You know, like, I'm just got to get used to that. And you start having those kinds of thoughts. 
And the less sleep you have, the, the more dangerous those thoughts are because you start to believe them. And you know, oh, you're, you're family. And you're like, we're just holding it together, just trying to survive. And that, that's what life feels like. And so young parents, if that's where you are, that's where you are. And that, that's actually normal. But the same can be said as you send your kids off. You now have freedom. And your kids have left the house. And now you're thinking like, what do we do? Who's this person I'm with? That's your spouse. You have to actually like get to know them again. And all this can lead us to this slide where we just kind of, what, what's the purpose? What's the meaning? Why are we here? And I want to shift the gears now that we can all relate to this. And I think we can. We all face this. Here's where, where it all kind of comes to the culmination is Easter is the reminder that, that hope can actually be found. If you give up hope, Easter is the reminder that you don't have to. In fact, Easter is proof that hope is alive. Because I believe that hope is not a feeling or a circumstance or dependent on us. I believe hope is dependent on the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you hear so many people talking about the fact that Jesus is alive today, That's really because hope is alive. And here at Ridgeview, we believe that Jesus being alive is the one reason we can have hope. And it's the main reason. And we need to gather everything that we do around this truth, that he is alive and therefore we can have hope. But it's interesting, as you celebrate on Easter weekend, Good Friday, two days ago was the acknowledgement and the remembrance of Jesus' death on the cross. I want to take us back to what that would have been like for his followers. And so here's a picture of, you know, Jesus was in the, the, the middle there being crucified and tortured. And the reason I show that is because at least when I see that, it actually makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I, I do that on purpose because I think that we can talk a lot kind of subjectively about Jesus, and, but we can fail to, to see that it wasn't a cross without a person, which we normally see. He was on there, and he was real, and he died for us. And his followers at the time knew that he was the son of God, and they had followed him. They had given up everything to follow him. They changed their whole life purpose. They knew that he was the one coming to give hope, to give purpose, and to give meaning. And crowds had gathered and seen him perform miracles and seen him teach like no one had ever taught. And there's a sense of there is this wave of change. You could see like this cynical group of people that were under oppression and bondage following Jesus and feeling this wave of hope following them. And more crowds would gather and this wave of hope would build. And more crowds would gather and this wave of hope would build. And then he died. Now talk about the most hopeless, cynical moment you would face, a follower of Jesus. Everything that you had given up, everything that you had longed for, died when he died on that cross. There was no hope left. Could you imagine the disciples who had sacrificed so much, left so much, and then he died on that Friday? Could you imagine the conversation with them? We have some accounts that they, you know, one of his closest followers denied him. Talk about cynic, like, I don't even know who he is. And as they talked to themselves, I would think, like, what, them just, what a waste. He's gone. 
That was it. Just another flash in the pan, something that we'd hoped for, and it's all lost. And so I believe that the disciples at that moment were the most cynical people probably on the face of the earth because all they had hoped for was gone. The reason I say that is no matter where you are, no matter what you face or you experience, you're just like they are. The rest of us, where we, we kind of can be jaded. We can be filled with hopelessness. But what's interesting is that we don't celebrate Easter because of Friday. We celebrate Easter because of Sunday. And here's an account of what happened after Friday on Sunday morning. John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So that, so here, so in the present moment, they can't look back as things are unfolding. History is happening right in their midst. They're not thinking, well, maybe this is going to be a celebration one day for all followers of Jesus. Their, their hope is lost. And so look what happens next. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. There was no thought in her mind that Jesus had risen again. Even though he had told them. They were filled with doubt. Still at this moment, the tomb was empty. So they took him. You could imagine now, what a waste. And now they're like, Not only is he gone, but we don't even know where he is. And just that mounting frustration and hopelessness. The reason they couldn't find him is because he was no longer there. The reason he was no longer there wasn't because somebody took him. It's because he rose again. And we know that he rose again because the Bible tells us that he appeared to the women. He appeared to the disciples and he appeared to the crowds people that spent the next 40 years of their life expanding Christianity and the cause of Christ. They gave up their life because they saw the risen Jesus. Here's a picture of what people believe was where Jesus was buried in the garden tomb in in Israel. The stone was rolled away and there was nothing in there because he was alive. And so no matter how jaded the disciples were, no matter how jaded we are, no matter how hopeless the disciples were, no matter how hopeless we are, Easter is proof that Jesus and hope is alive. So what, what does this mean for us? And I think this is really important because I think for most of us, we have somewhat of a background of Easter, okay? It's the celebration of Jesus dying and, and rising again. And you may be at a different place. Some of you may believe that that's true. Some of you may be skeptical, trying to figure out if, if that really did happen. And you're welcome here. You actually need to take time to investigate, is Jesus who he said? But I think the question is, if he is, then you really are at kind of a crossroads of life. Because if he is, then you have to decide that he wasn't just a good teacher. He did things that no one else had done. That was predicted before he was ever on earth that said he would do that. And the prophecies and the things that came true in the Old Testament the New Testament. And so we're all at this this crossroads. So what does that mean? Well, if Jesus did die and he rose again and what he said was true, then could he change my life? 
think that's the key question. If all that is true, could he change me? Because if we're cynical and we think that we can't change, then I think what we do with Jesus is a crucial part of our life story. And so I want to kind of shift gears into what, what that looks like. So here's how life works for me. I can have a lot of good intentions, things that I want to see happen in my life, things that I want to see happen in those that are close to me. But you know what? My intentions don't actually lead me anywhere. You know, I, the things that I want to see happen. You know what leads me to where I go is, is my direction. Isn't that true? It's actually where you're headed. That's where you end up. Now, that's like not earth-shattering, but it's our direction that leads us to our destination, right? If you're going the wrong way, you can't just hope that you'll find the right way. Why not? Because you're going the wrong way, right? I, I'm not like the most geographically skilled, directionally astute person. I'm terrible. Let's just put it like I'm being nice, okay? I kind of had this thing in my life where I thought, if I'm going in a wrong direction, 15 minutes down, somehow it's going to circle back to get to the right place. And I didn't realize that until I got married. Because, you know, when you get married and then you drive with somebody else, stuff starts to happen. Because now people have opinions. And, and I'm driving, and, and my wife finally said, why... In her, you know, like the, the most nice way she could. Why aren't you turning around? Because I don't want to turn around. Because I believe I will eventually get there. And I don't know what it happened in my driver's ed or in my life, but I just had this, this kind of thing, like every road just kind of ends up, turns to the right one. And then I realized it didn't. And you know what it is? It's because I don't want to admit that I was going the wrong way. I'm just taking us on the scenic route. And seven days later, we're in Canada. But that, that's how life is. We, we kind of have an intention, like, yeah, I'll get to that. I hope change will happen. But we end up on the same path, going the same direction, and we're going to be in the same destination. That's how life is. If you don't change, you're going to be exactly where you are. And so what I want to talk about is how do you change? if you don't change, then everything that I've described that you're experiencing is going to remain the same. So you change, according to the scripture, by trusting in this risen Jesus. You have to trust him, which means I'm going to change my direction. And I want to describe how you do that. Because it brings one important thing that changes all of life for us. Trusting in the risen Jesus brings forgiveness of our sin. And sin is connected to our cynicism because our cynicism is connected to our brokenness and our brokenness is tied to our sin and our sin leads to shame and it leads to hopelessness, it leads to pain, it leads to suffering. So everything wrapped up in cynicism is actually wrapped up in brokenness and brokenness is wrapped up in sin. And the reason you need forgiveness and the reason I need forgiveness is because we can't escape the brokenness sin without forgiveness. So we have to admit that we're going the wrong way. And once you admit that, 
change can happen. I want to give you a condensed version of what it means to change the direction of your life. This is like a condensed version of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you'll see it on the screen. And if, if you have a program, there's a listening outline, and you could look at that, and there's an acrostic called Lord. And so when you hear people talk about Jesus as Lord, they're describing him as he's the boss. When they use that word Lord, it's like he's the, the ruler of your life. But to be a Christian isn't you believe in God. Many people believe in God. They're not Christians. To be a Christian means not only do you believe in him, but he leads you. He's changed your direction. And so I want to describe what that process looks like. First is the Bible says that God loves you and I and, and, and everyone, and he wants you to experience abundant and real life. So that's love. The Lord, the L in Lord, it's an acrostic. That's his love. The fact that God wants us to have an abundant and full life comes out of his love. The reason you and I are here comes out of his love. He created us. He gave us life. He gave us this life out of love. And that's what God is. He is love. But rather than turning to God, every one of us began to sin, going our own way. And we, we tried to be our own boss. It's the idea of God is saying, I love you and I have direction for you. And we say, thank you for the love. I want to do my own thing. Thank you for life, but I want to lead me. And all of us have done that. Usually, I've, I've shown this before, but remember that, like, talk to the hand? You know, that's what, that's what we do to God. Thank you for everything, but I got this. I'm going to lead. And so we, we, go our, we go our own way. And by going our own way, this is actually why we're condemned. This is why we live in a cynical world. Because the result of this choice is our separation from God. You can't have hope and be separated from God. I don't believe it can happen. And so separation from God, and then the Bible says that, that sin has cut us off from knowing God personally. And so you see that, that canyon there. There's just this separation. There's a cliff. We can't know God anymore. He loves us, but we don't know that love. Even though it's still there, we, we just don't experience it because on our own path, going our own destination, we, we don't see it. We feel stuck. We feel disillusioned. And so instead of experiencing the life that God wants us to experience, we're, we're dead spiritually. Like we are just spiritually dead. We're actually in bondage. We experience like slavery. The reason I say that is the reason we can't change is because some of the time it is true. Because we're slaves. We're slaves to our desires. We're slaves to our emotions. We're slaves to our past. We're slaves to fear. Because we've all gone our own way. We're cut off from knowing God personally. But remember the first part. God what? God loves us. So here's the good news. Even though we're dead spiritually, we're cut off from knowing God personally. We're disillusioned. We're overwhelmed. To remedy the situation... God sent Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and he was raised from the dead. So what was whoops, what was once a canyon of our separation, the cross of Jesus and the death that he died bridges that gap. 
And once we were separated, we now can be joined back into relationship. But again, the forgiveness of sins can't happen. You can't bridge the separation if you keep going the wrong way. What do you have to do? You have to turn around. And isn't that just like it is for my driving? Well, I don't want to turn around. The only reason I would turn around when I'm driving is because I don't want to be lost anymore. And this is why Christianity will only make sense if you realize you're somewhat lost. That actually takes a lot of humility. It's the idea that you actually don't have everything together. That takes a lot of humility. That actually takes a lot of guts. Because we live in a time where it's all about appearances. You actually can't become a Christian and not admit that you didn't know what you were doing and you don't know how to lead your life. Because that's what it's based on. It's this idea of I will turn around. So he sent Jesus. But the Bible says that all the people without Jesus are destined for hell. But those who repent, and here's where it makes sense. Those who repent, repentance actually means change direction. That's what repentance is. So although we're separated from God in our sin, and we're destined for eternity separated from God, if we turn around and admit that we're lost, then we become children of God and experience the life and freedom that God desires. And So this is where your direction changes. You, you find that in the book of Romans that you can see on the screen there. So your direction changes when you admit you're going the wrong way and you need to make a U-turn. And that's where you find forgiveness of sins. That's where you can escape ultimate hopelessness. I don't know about you, but I brought us real low with the experiences that I think we've all faced. Some of us face horrendous things that we don't talk about. But as hard as those things are, they don't compare to how sweet and how good this news is. Because here's why. In Romans 8, we find this based on this truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you follow Christ and you change roads and you decide to change your direction, you're no longer condemned. You're no longer burdened forever by the feeling that you can't change. I don't know about you, but that is the best news I could share with anybody. And some of you are here today, and you need to hear that. There is hope for you. You don't need to be condemned because God has not condemned you as you turn to Jesus Christ. He will give you the forgiveness that he's promised. And we can escape that condemnation. Then it goes on in Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? He's, he's describing the love that God gave us through Jesus. So what, what should we say to this love that Jesus was sent? Check out this next line. If God is for us, who can be against us? I think that is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. If he is for us, then who or what can be against us? Yeah, the answer is nothing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And it goes on. 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The idea is all hope was lost when Jesus died, but all hope is regained when he rose again. And in him, there's no condemnation. And in him, we have the full picture that if God is for us, and we know he's for us because he sent Jesus, if he's for us, then it doesn't matter what we face. There's nothing or no one that can be against us. So that's the first good news, the best news. We can have forgiveness. The second, I think, is equally important. So if you turn direction and you trust in the risen Jesus, you can find forgiveness. And the second is you can have hope beyond just this life. And I think that's important because I've mentioned the things that we've experienced and some of the things we may never get over. And I think that's just part of being in a broken world with broken people. There's things that we face that we may never get over. So there's a part, even as we have hope, even as you turn to Jesus, there's still just the sense of brokenness in life. And that's because it is. It's broken. Sin tainted it. Sin broke it. We're not in a utopia. When you follow Jesus, you don't automatically get this awesome, better life. and everything. You know, it's still a struggle. It's still a battle. But this is also true. Hope doesn't end when we breathe our last breath. When you find forgiveness for your sins, you now are on a step and a journey to forever with Jesus. Forever. So it's not just about the here and now. It extends into eternity. And this was a statement Jesus said. This is very interesting. Jesus said this statement before he ever died. This was found in the account leading up to his death. And this is what he said in John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So he hadn't died yet. And he hadn't risen again yet. And he's giving this this statement that I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die in this life, you will be with me forever. Because when I rise again, I'm preparing a place for you. So when you die, you can come and join me. So the pain that we've experienced and all the things that we face, this is actually just a vapor of time compared to forever, right? Even if we live a long life, it's still just a very small percentage compared to eternity. What Jesus is saying is if you can get this squared away here and now and you, you turn and change direction, you're not only escaping condemnation here and now, you're escaping it forever. And the abundant life that you get a taste of now, you get the fullness of there. And that's, that's the best news. He will make things right again. He will make things whole. And again, Easter is the proof that hope is alive. And so I, I want to wrap up with just what this means, again, for all of us. And so Joel had you fill out that connection card. If everyone could pull that out right now and go ahead and finish filling that out. We're going to receive our offering in a moment. And as the offering comes by, we're going to sing another song. And you can just drop that 
uh, connection card in there. But there's some next steps that I want you know you to take, and you could see if you could go back to that connection card. Uh, there's the sign me up where you could sign up for connect groups. You could sign up for the picnic, and then there's next steps, and so you can write next steps uh, on there. So the first one is for the first time I'm going to commit my life to Christ Jesus, and what that means is I am going to change my direction. I'm going to commit my life to Christ. I'm going to change my direction. If, if you want to make this next step today, there's a picture here. You can mark following Jesus. Like, I'm interested in following Jesus. I'm interested in turning around, making, making a U-turn. That could be you today. And I believe that there might be somebody here that, that's ready to make that decision. And so by you checking that, we're going to follow up with you, and that means I, I am ready to change my road, to change my direction, and ultimately my destination. And we'll meet with you so you know what that, what that looks like, what that means. Uh, the second next step is just come back next week. If this is your first time here, that's a great next step because you, you need to just get to know us, and we want to get to know you. Like Joel said, we're, we're trying to build more than just a service. We, we actually want to build a community. And I think some of you are here today to help build that with us. So I encourage you to come back, be a part of what God is starting and then the last next step is, is sign up for a connect group. Now, this could be like way out there for you. Like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get a group of people. But here's the thing. Again, the only way to change is if you do things that you've never done. And so there may just be a group of people that you need to get to know, that can get to know you, that can help you, that can love you. And what we're going to be doing in these connect groups in the month of May is we're going to be talking about what we talk about on a Sunday. Just blindsided, how that's impacted us. What do we need to do to move forward? What does the Bible say? And so they're going to meet for four weeks. So I encourage you, a connect group could be a good. It's a four-week commitment. But I think it, it could really, really help you. And so take one of those next steps, write that. Garrett is going to be uh, closing out with a song, and we're going to receive uh, our offering. And after the service, I'm going to be by the info table, and I'd love to meet you. And so please come by and, and introduce yourself. Joel is going to come up right at the end and give some directions for refreshments and all that, that fun stuff. So once again, thank you so much for, for being here today. I'm so glad that you came. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you again for sending your son, Jesus, who has killed condemnation, has killed hopelessness because he died, but he rose again. And in him, we have the proof and the meaning for all of life. And so thank you for the sacrifice that he gave so we no longer have to go our own way. Thank you also that death did not conquer him. He conquered death. And as he conquered death, he conquered sin. And as he conquered sin, he conquered brokenness. And as he conquered brokenness, we actually can experience hope. So thank you for the hope that can be found in your son, Jesus. I pray for anyone here today that's never decided to follow your son, that they make that decision. I know that is a decision that changes our life. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and doubt. But I believe that is what you brought us here for, to turn, to 
new life in Jesus' name. We praise your name.